Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the Sexism One, of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. Sexism is a hot topic and there are still lots of misunderstandings and lack of education and understanding in this area. There have been events recently in the news which have brought this to the forefront of discussions, again, and this is good, but we still have a long way to go. To help us get a better understanding on this subject, we have two great guests who are experts in this field. Our first guest is Dr Ashley Morgan. Ashley is a masculinity scholar at Cardiff Metropolitan University. She has published on male geek identity, sexual asceticism as a viable form of male sexual behaviour, and the presence of mediated toxic masculinity. She is an award-winning running punk and campaigns against men's harassment of women. Our second guest is Tony Summers Hargis. Tony is an author and a columnist with a law degree and a master in organisational development. Tony has spent years working in corporate HR, training and organisational consulting. Always ardent about equality, she was termed difficult in many a meeting and strives to continue in that vein. You will pause this episode a lot, if only to think deeply about what our guests have said. It is an awe-inspiring episode and we really can't wait for you to hear it. We recorded this episode in July of this year. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Ashley and Tony talking about sexism. Good afternoon, Tony. How are you doing? Um, very well, Ashley. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, sexism today. Sexism and, and what the girls and boys need to know. We We just had a conversation about how we... This is such an enormous topic... And uh, we weren't entirely sure where to start, but we had some ideas around what we might want to talk about. And I had the idea that I thought it was very important for young men to understand what sexism is and the consequences of it. And my mission, you know, so far um, and with the book and with, with what I write on Medium, for the most part, has been to help educate girls on um, basically putting themselves first, um, identifying their boundaries, identifying sexism. Because when I talk to young girls, quite often they're not aware of what the, what has happened to them was actually sexism mm-hmm. in the form of harassment mm-hmm. uh, or assault or something like that. So um, educating them not just on the legal side or the practical side, but also the idea that you don't have to be nice all the time. You don't have to think about his reputation. Mm-hmm. You have to think about yourself. So mm-hmm. that's where I've been coming from. But I must add, as I said to you, I have two sons and one daughter. So I'm you know, I'm not biased one way or the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yes, I I just want to pick up on what you said there about um, the the whole thing about harassment is quite interesting, particularly because it's taken me quite me quite a long time to realise that certain behaviours that I've put up with and I've seen acted out and I know other women have put up with are actually harassment. And I think some education around harassment is really important. And harassment is a very basic thing. The definition of it is any unwanted attention in public by somebody you know or don't know. And it's it's a small thing. The idea of... Um, the idea, the concept of harassment sounds like a big, angry problem. Mm. But actually, when it occurs, it can occur in a very small way, in a way that's done very quickly, and in a way that it's very 
difficult to respond to because what I hear and how I feel from the past, what I hear people saying was, it did that just happen? And, oh, mm-hmm. I feel uncomfortable, but I don't want to make a fuss. Yeah, and also I think people... Um a lot of people don't realize well, it is defined in the equality act of 2010 and it, it it pertains not just to behavior like i don't know physical groping and stuff like that and not necessarily even to just what we call banter but um it, it it's what causes an environment to be hostile or degrading or something like that so if it, so it can include micro what we call microaggressions which are the ones where you go ooh did he did he just say that? Am I right to be offended? Or, you know, that sort of thing. And the other important thing is that under the Equality Act, you can report for somebody else. So if you see this happening to somebody else, you can actually report it and you are supposed to be protected um, under the same act from retaliation, victimization as well. And I think a lot of people do not, and they're not aware of the protections under the act um, for harassment. Yeah, so I was. That's interesting because I I noticed it was a it's a public pol it's an issue of public policy as well and what you can and can't do in public harassment is actually as you say mm-hmm. it's in there in sort of statute. But do we know how how often do people bring it up as a problem and what's done as a consequence of harassment? Well, I think it's not um, reported very often for two reasons. One is the lack of awareness of um, employee rights under the Act. But secondly, because it tends to be a lot of the time, um, these microaggressions, and it's a form of gaslighting, I think, that that they are designed sometimes to just address you. And so anyone else in the room might not even pick up on it. Yeah. Um, but it's designed um, to make you feel little, to make you feel embarrassed or sometimes scared or whatever. Um, and that's another reason why people don't report is because they're not sure that anyone else would understand. And then, of course, there's, they're not sure they've got a leg to stand on, um, which is the big one, you know, especially if it's somebody who is in a position of power and it's not out and out groping or it's not out and out women should be back in the kitchen type thing um it's just this 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 feeling that what's the point yes which I always find really interesting the fact that this is a statute statutory issue and yet do we know how many people are how how do you how do you prevent through through that sort of statute how do you prevent harassment occurring and it seems to me that it isn't something that can be done in that way, unless we educate people on what harassment is. Yeah. And I, th- I think as a woman, I, I know how harassment makes me feel. It makes me feel hot. It makes, it brings, it's, it's drawn unwanted attention to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. And also I want to respond, but I don't know how to and I think uh, what I was going to add to that is when when we're talking about harassment and how does it make us feel, one of the things I've written about recently to men who proclaim themselves allies, first of all, great. But secondly, think about, are you really an ally? Because if you're telling women not to be offended or to take it as a joke and you are putting yourself in the position of the arbiter Mm-hmm. of what is and isn't offensive mm-hmm. that you're not really an ally no. you do not get to define what 
is harassment to the victim or the target. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's like a double bind then as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And what I, what I mean by gaslighting is, um, just for those who aren't familiar with that term, is that, you know, it makes you second guess what your uh, experience was. So, you know, that person has deliberately said something to you that's either picking at a weak spot or mm-hmm. makes you feel like a little woman being patted on the head. Um, but it's done in such a way that no one else has seen it. And so mm-hmm. you start thinking, well, should I be offended? Or, you know, and it's it's a, it's a very deliberate thing that's done. It's interesting because once you've been harassed, it, it for me, it has quite a physical effect on me. And that's when I know that it, I've been harassed because it because it it brings up all these things in my mind or in my body that um, that that have reminded me of the harassment. And I just want to talk a little bit, if I may, about um, where my interest in talking about harassment publicly has come from. Uh, during lockdown, I joined a running group and um, I don't like running with people normally, um, but it was lockdown and I joined a group of people called Running Punks. And um, Running Punks really helped me. I went to the first one, the first ever meetup, and it was about 15 people, only three of whom were women, and I was one of those three women. And I rocked up and I saw a load of men standing there and I thought, oh, I don't like this. I This is exactly why I don't join running groups. I don't want to run with men that I don't know. I won't like it. I won't enjoy it. And I won't like them. And I'll feel self-conscious. So I had all these things. And and over the weeks and, and now years that I've got to know these group of people, what I it's helped me with my quite poor attitude towards men because... As somebody who's been running, this is my 35th year of running, my levels of harassment continue as a woman outside doing the things I want to do. So part of what we did Mm. in the group was to talk about and think about how women are harassed particularly when running, because you're very, you're very public. It's one thing when you're walking around as a woman, but it's quite another when you're dressed in running gear and you're doing Mm -hmm. something. Um, and it draws attention to you already as a woman. You see far more men out mm-hmm. running than you yeah. do women anyway. So we set, we we decided that. And when, when Sarah Everard was killed, I'd already had a massive problem with women being harassed in public in Wales because, again, because lockdown threw up quite a lot of interesting things. And one of them was the increased harassment of women outside because women had, had stopped going to the gym yeah. Yeah. because they were shut. And started exercising outside. But what had also happened was the elite athletes who were training in South Wales were also training outside. And a group of female athletes had things thrown at them by a group of men and boys. They had plastic bottles thrown at them. They were heckled. They were cornered. And this is before the death of Sarah Abrard. This is sort of October uh, 2020 or something like that and I got I, I just I, I felt so impotent and I got really really angry and I messaged everybody I messaged um, the South Wales government I, I messaged South Wales police I messaged everybody and I said this is entirely inappropriate that women should be subject to this what are you going to do about it and secondly the response was also inappropriate, which was the response was, how do we keep women safe? And this is this is where I come in, really, which is that you can't keep women safe. What you have to do is 
ask men to change their behaviours. There is no women's safety. Mm. There is no time of the day or night in which women can be themselves, in which women can keep themselves safe. Because if somebody wants to harass you or physically attack you and that happens, again, it can happen at nine o'clock in the morning in in broad daylight, which has happened to somebody that I knew of. I went running in one direction, they went running in the other, and a guy on a bike um, hit her as he cycled past and then cycled off. So she was assaulted. Nobody ever found him. But I, I, it could, the whole thing was it could have been me, but here we were nine o'clock on a Wednesday morning in the summer, drop the kids off at school, go for a run. So there is no point at which, and there's no point in telling women to keep safe. So from that, I started getting angrier and angrier. And then I contacted the Welsh government and, and, and they, they were quite interested, but they haven't done anything at all. Because my whole point is, why can't you, why can't you speak to men? You have to speak to men. This isn't a problem of women. Men don't want to see women outside. Some men don't like it. Sorry, what's infuriating, I find, is that the solution is, as 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 we've all seen, women don't go out on your own, run in twos, don't run at night, don't do this, don't do that, buy a rape yeah. alarm, take self-defense classes. And and I and, and the other example for working women back in the day was when you got the perv in the photocopying room. Yeah. And the solution was, well, just go another time. If you go into the photocopying room and he's there, then just turn around and come back later. And you go, what? So I can't do my job because I have to accommodate this pervert. In, and it's the same with the running or the walking around is the mm-hmm. expectation that women change their behavior their everything um in to accommodate and it's the acceptance that yes. bo- not boys will be boys but that this is going to happen um and women have to make accommodations for it it's it's a sick response to a to an epidemic somebody used epidemic on social media recently about how many women are being killed and the report, the way it's reported and the reporting of it. And they said it was an epidemic and they got absolutely lambasted. Um, and men were laying into her and saying, that's just so inappropriate thing to say. And But I, I'm all behind it because I do feel like it is an epidemic of violence against women. And it's normalised. And that's why it feels like an epidemic. I mean, look at the case the other day when there was an older gentleman and he was up to his eyeballs in debt. It was in the newspapers, older couple. He was up to his eyeballs in debt or they were. And so he didn't want to live anymore. So what did he do? He slashed her wrists and said he was going to lie there until she died and then he was going to kill himself. Well, she didn't want to die. So she managed to get away into the bathroom and the, called the police and she's now forgiven him and that's up to her. But the response to, to uh, and it was Sarah Vine in the Daily Mail who said she sympathised with him. And you're like, would you be quiet? Because that normalises violence against women as a uh, to solve your problems, to solve your yeah. disappointment, to solve your fear. If you're going to snap, that was her. She claimed he'd snapped. If you're going to snap, then snap and harm yourself. Why would you harm somebody else? Yes, go and snap somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that on quite quite a few occasions, and I've met some people on. Um, social media there's a guy called Bernie who does TED talks and his sister was killed by her husband because she'd been going on at him all day 
she'd suffered a great deal of domestic violence mm-hmm. in in their relationship. And then one day, as you say, she'd been going on at him. He didn't like it. So he took her life away from her. And one of the things I find interestingly um, with uh, responses to when women are killed is is that their their lives have been snuffed out mm-hmm. they they their their potential their being in the world their relationships it's all been deemed somebody doesn't like it and they've taken it off the the the, the woman and the response has been again um t- to uh, don't go out in the dark it, you know it's so interesting tony that i've I've never been on so many vigils in my life as, as a woman yeah. or indeed anyone. I was at Clapham Common when Sarah, after Sarah Everard had been killed, uh, highly illegally, I'd been there. I shouldn't have left Cardiff and I shouldn't have gone to there, but it's a place that I know really, really well. And and I was so, I've never been so compelled to do anything uh, yeah. more fully in my life mm-hmm. than to go to that vigil, and I did indeed go. I also went to a local vigil that was organised for Ashling Murphy, the um, teacher, 23, 24, mm-hmm. who'd probably looked out the window one February and thought, oh, do you know what, it's a bit lighter. I'll go for a run after work. She probably was going to go in the morning and thought, no, I'll go after work. And she was killed on a towpath at four o'clock mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Yeah, and and so this whole women being out, women being out after dark, it, it the whole problem is women being out at all. Well, and and not only that, to bring it to a more sort of a less, um, I don't know what, less unusual because let's face it, you know, statistically most of us are not going to be murdered, but to bring it to a more mundane and everyday situation, um, in schools, at work, online. You know, threats, actually, particularly online, because you look at the number of women MPs who complain about death threats. You look at a lot of um, feminist campaigners and they they frequently have to take time out just to cope with the level of harassment. And they get doxxed. So their addresses are publicized and then they end up fearing for their lives. And you just never know when it's going to happen. And there are a few movements. I think there is um, a, a campaign and, and huge efforts right now to police online misogyny. Um, but again, going, going back to our point about um, educating girls as to what it is and boys, for that matter, we can't accept the, this level of abuse online. No. No, no, nor should we have to. And and this also happened to two um, Welsh Assembly members, um, Kirsty Williams, and I can't remember the person's other name. They, they gave lots of reasons as to why they stood down from their roles. But one of them was because of not just the death threats, but the rape threats they um, experienced from men online. And that's something that you don't hear about with men and the threat of rape is very present in women's life i i think yeah and you've only got to ask a handful of women that you know and you know out of 10 you better bet that half of them have been raped mm-hmm. yeah and sexually assaulted all of us will have been sexually assaulted at some point in our lives think about that really but the whole threat of rape I think 
online is a whole new level of, I mean, that in itself counts as assault in my mind. The The threat. Threatening Mm -hmm. somebody to rape them, to take away their supposed power, is absolutely unacceptable, I think. But, you know, but uh, prosecution rates of any of this are incredibly low because what it seems to come down to, even if even if there's evidence, is that it's his word against hers. Yeah, and also with with her word, that's never seen as enough evidence. Um, there's there always needs to be um, corroboration or this yes. or that, and it's like, hang on a minute, she's saying this has happened. That is evidence in itself, and all he has to say is he didn't do it. Yeah, that's fine then. You, you know, so it. It only works in that respect. Um, that if a man said he didn't do it, that's fine. But if a woman, if a woman said it was done to her, it's like, well, well, there's no evidence, is there? I mean, obviously, the prosecution they have to prove something happened. Um, so there is an onus to prove something happened, rather than just to stand there and say, you know, I didn't do it. They have to prove that that you know he did do it. But um, again, it, it 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 this is another area where. I don't think there's enough awareness and education of is the whole, you know, consent. And that's that's an area that's probably it's too wide to go into. But it's yes. it's another area that that we that we've spoken of where um, there's not there's just not enough education about consent and the yes. fact that it, it's not she doesn't have to be screaming and crying. There are various forms of no. Um, and, and, and I think young women aren't even aware of, of what constitutes no. 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 Um, no. And also they and they, you know, there's still the element of shame. At what did I do to bring it on? What what did I did I did I, you know, did I wear this? Did I wear that? And I think young women in particular need to realize there's no there's no contributory element to rape, sexual assault, groping, any of it doesn't matter what you wear, where you go, what you drink. There is nothing you do that brings on, quote unquote rape or assault and we need to no. get rid of that notion as well no i know it but again to some degree it's positive that these things are being discussed openly on the other hand i think for me and thinking about my children i i find it really triggering all all the sort of discussion about whether this whether she was in the right place at the right time or whether she was in the wrong place or what she did or what she didn't do and and I'm very much of the so that's a problem but I'm also very much of the opinion that young men need to be taught what consent is it's okay not to do things for peer pressure because one of the biggest problems that young men have is peer pressure from each other and being accepted so there's been quite a bit of research done about young men and peer interaction and peer pressure. And some young men will, so for example, if there are groups of young men who are being homophobic against somebody like a stranger walking past, there may be a member of that group who's gay, but they value being in the group and the safety the group gives them so much that they will not come out to their friends and they will join in with homophobia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So peer pressure amongst boys is an enormous issue. And it's where things like smoking, drinking and sex comes from, usually under peer pressure. That's, That's 
it doesn't matter what you know how many um how many the, the fact that cigarettes aren't advertised anymore they used to be cigarettes used to be advertised for example alcohol used to be advertised it isn't about that because it isn't about um oh i can see the cigarette so i'm going to smoke it's about when you learn young boys particularly when they start learning about each other they start doing things like smoking and drinking because a it's a rite of passage and b it's peer pressure it's the same with okay well if you want to be in our group you've got to sexually assault a girl mm-hmm. yeah yeah so, so that so that is also that sort of very strong influence but i remember speaking to young men and talking to young men about it some years ago and and, and reading this research where it said that some young men are so terrified in their lives that they find it better to be part of a group they don't want really want to be in but they find that it it covers up a lot of their feelings of inadequacy or com- or lack of confidence yeah mm-hmm. and then we've got to think about right why don't boys have confidence yeah and that might then bring us on to thinking about the confidence that you know why don't young people have confidence why aren't they being instilled with better confidence to be themselves yeah well i think that goes back to you know i don't know whether this is too wide as well but i think that goes back to how we raise them and there's still a lot of gender stereotyping um there's still a lot of you know the boys have to be tough don't cry um girls have to be nice put themselves second to everybody else um, you know, and even the even I, I saw a tweet that you'd um, posted a couple. I think it might have been a couple of days ago or whatever. And it was all these terms that we have for women that like bossy and difficult, that if boys and men um, display the same behaviors, it's not bossy. It's focused or leadership. And, you know, I when I write for parents that, you know, we, we can do stuff in the home to educate and sort of almost like redirect our children by what we do, how we model it in the home and how we treat our children. And it goes right back almost to the, to the womb. Yes. And, and in, I, I, one of the things I think is really, really encouraging is for some people, social media has become a real lifeline for them. There are things at the moment like Andy's Man Club and which is um which is a national group of people who it's an open forum for men to talk about themselves and um i remember reading some of these responses and sometimes some men join the group because they don't know what else to do they've got nowhere else to go they've got no confidence they're at a terribly low ebb and some of them really talk in a way they've never ever been encouraged or supported for in a safe space supported to talk about how they feel and that however they feel is okay in that moment and you know I remember seeing some incredible testimonials from some of these which is you know some men who would have killed themselves actually because mental health and suicide rates are sky high amongst men and they are not getting any better between the ages of 17 and 23 are a massive problem. But I don't see much being done to support that. What we see is things like Andrew Tate and the whole misogynist discourse around it'll be about being strong in this. It's almost like we've gone back to cavemen 
and being strong is to be oppressive. And But also I know because of research that I've done and read about, there are also whole stratas of young people who are being brought up to not oppress others, to see difference in others and just see it for what it is. It's not a challenge to you. It's just difference. It's fine for people to be different from you. It's not challenging your, you know, your fragile, your your fragile masculinity. I hate that term, but that that's one way of thinking about it. How that might be challenged is indifference. Yeah, and I think you know, t- talking about emotions and things. While we are encouraging men, I think I tweeted about this today. While we are encouraging men and boys to emote to share we need to stop criticizing women for being quote too emotional because you can't have it both ways if it's bad for women to be emotional then why are we encouraging i mean obviously we know why we're encouraging men but but the double standard has to go and anger cannot be the only emotion that men are allowed to exhibit We've got to get rid of, you know, this is where I think it has to be really and truly equal that if men, we're encouraging men to be emotional and we need to encourage women to continue to be emotional if that was ever true, if we were ever the more emotional sex. Yeah, I think the problem, the problem with that is that lots of men, as you say, are encouraged, their anger is often encouraged, but it's it's possibly the locations in which their emotions are encouraged. And that's often around things like sport, for example. So men all, always dis- often display greater emotions during sporting periods. And what also happens then is that domestic vi- rates of domestic violence go up for certain kinds of sport, things like football, and rugby, for example, are globally the kind of sport where men have a very big emotional stake in, and even if their team wins, are far more likely to go home and engage in domestic abuse than if the match or whatever it was hadn't happened. It doesn't occur in some sports like tennis, for example, and there's, a, there's another sport in America, the National Baseball League and basketball are bigger sports where domestic violence is, also has a big link. In the UK, it's about rugby and football. And one of the things I have tried to do, deaf years, it's so full non-deaf years, is trying to engage local rugby and football groups in, in talking to their members and their players about how they can be agents for change for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I suggested things like, can we have a one-minute silence at one of the rugby matches for all the women who've been killed this year, please? What was the reaction? Well, the reaction was that um, 10, 15 years ago, a Welsh football manager called Gary Speed killed himself nobody knew the reason nobody knew if or when he'd been suffering from mental health issues and the reason 
nobody was interested in my one minute silence was because it'd been 10 years since he'd died um, and they were having one minute silence for him. Okay. Um, and I was saying, but he's been dead. I, I didn't, no disrespect to these people and their fa- the family of this um, poor person, but what I was trying to say was, you can get a massively captive audience at these sport where we understand the complexities of feelings in sport and you've got to be a pretty hard man in the middle of a, before a sporting match to not to not do a, a minute silence for women who've been killed or also think that it's okay to jeer when that's happening and it might change some people's perspectives of an audience you've got you've got thousands of men there obviously you've got women as well but to show to have that kind of solidarity in a match where you know there's going to be emotion it would seem to be the perfect the perfect arena as far as i'm concerned particularly in somewhere like wales which is egregiously and publicly sexist and we know this from things like the welsh assembly and the welsh rugby union when i was asked to comment on the problems in the welsh rugby union where women had lost their jobs from speaking up about the extremely bad behavior of male of men who worked in the rugby arena and players and other women who worked in the rugby arena and of course the uh, one of the governors having to stand down because she couldn't stand the sexism anymore it falls on deaf ears it and, and then it gets to the point where i think i can't you know, we don't, and they basically don't want to do it because they don't want to think about it being their problem. But the point is, is that it is their problem. But what we talked a little bit about this before is that if it doesn't, if if they think they've got nothing, to, they think they've got nothing to gain by it and everything to lose, so they're not going to do anything. I mean, they're going to hold on to whatever privilege they think they have, and 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 I think that's one of you know the the, the problems that men and boys have is that they do not see how damaging. I want to use the phrase toxic masculinity because it is a form of masculinity. I'm all for it. Yes. And and I think not enough men and boys realise how damaging it is for them as well. I mean, no one's if you go into the work environment, no one's going to get to the pearly gates and think, oh, I wish I'd spent more time in the office instead of with my kids. And yet we've still got this um, work environment, which... Um, sort of and it's detrimental to men because it expects men to be in the office far more than women they're far less likely to ask for flexible time part-time paternity leave it's getting better but it's still not balanced um and men are losing out and they they don't see this they just that i feel like they see it that you know feminism's gone too far or feminism's gone far enough because oh god you know it's we're, we're having to compete now. It's all getting a bit level playing field, but it's not all against them. It's not equality isn't man hating. It's not we're going to take anything away from you. It's just we want equality or equity. I'm of the opinion that there will never, ever be equality because it's not in men's interest to want it, because there's far too much at stake for men in power mm-hmm. who oppress all women and some men, why would they give up their exalted role to help some other people that they don't really care about? I think if if um if we t- if we talked more to 
men about what they don't like about work. And I, you know, I've been working since the 80s. And I remember in the 80s, the ridiculous amounts of money that were being made, but that was in return for 100 hours a week working. And so, yeah, everybody had money, but nobody had any time to do with it, anything with it. Everyone was absolutely knackered. And that's all very well if you're in your 20s. But when you, you, you know, if you're older and you've got a family, that shouldn't be the norm. And uh, yeah. especially for working fathers to work. Um, and I think I think if if a lot more men, if we could get them away from the office and just talking to them about what they would like to see as a change, there would be, there, I, I guarantee there would be more men who would say, yeah, I would take paternity leave. But I, but I remember when my first, my first child was born and my, my husband worked for a massive global um, firm and he was on partnership track and they offered paternity leave. Now, it probably wasn't much, but nobody took it. Because what that signaled was you weren't serious about your partnership track. And the other interesting thing was that all the female partners, of which there were not many, they all waited until they were partners before they had children. And and it's just and it's it's not fair on women, but it's equally those types of things are unfair on the men as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But. And also that suggests sort of very toxic kinds of work environments mm-hmm. where you, and that is largely born out of masculinity mm-hmm. yeah, or masculinities in which, you know, you don't have to have a toxic work environment, but you have made it so because that's what you think is important and will earn money and status and power. And there must be more, there must be different ways of doing it. I know. But what the only way I remember somebody saying to me that, um, you know, they they were in some ridiculous, as you said, and they worked in America in some very high pressured job and and they had to and therefore um, the woman that they wanted to date also had to be of that ilk, uh, whatever that meant. Mm. Um, And, you know. And the men had to, so what they were doing was trying to get trophy wives or this idea of, you know, the women had to look and be a certain way mm-hmm. and that the men had to have the cojones to keep that kind of woman. Oh, yeah. So that meant that they had to be very, very cut cut and thrust. And you think, but that's just your opinion on a very small matter. That That's the way that, you know, that isn't, a, that doesn't work in other work practices, although in fairness, um, I don't think there is a single sexist workplace. Um, we were talking about um, what was very interesting, where the uh, particularly in institutions, institutions are always, without exception, overstaffed with men at the top. Yeah, mm-hmm. without exception. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens with that is that all that comes into play. That everybody thinks they're talking about everybody but actually what they're talking about is men mm-hmm. they're not yeah. talking about women mm-hmm. um or, or nor are they providing anything you know one of the things i find quite interesting in spain for example spain has just introduced menstrual leave Ooh. which i find very interesting because and, and there's a lot of talk, there has been a lot of talk about um menopause and women you know women are sort of in their early 50s who possibly are in the you know, should be in the prime of their uh, work scenario, which you would be, of course, if you were a man. 
And then then the problems that arise then as a consequence of menopause aren't being addressed at all. Isn't it Carolyn Norris that's been doing a lot of work around this? Um, yeah. would, and it's, I, I think it's getting better. I mean, I, I you know, I, I have, you know, a few women in my circles who are, have podcasts who are talking about menopause. And I think the fact that we can say it out loud um, as well as periods and not feel shame about it. It's good. Uh, people are being educated about back going back to education, which um, which is sort of the solution to everything, really. Um, but it's good that we are sort of uh, opening the you know opening it out a bit and not making these just women's issues because they do affect everybody. Yeah. yeah, and and you know just it's so interesting. Just pick up picking up on that. Um, one of my children thought periods were a new thing that they'd just been introduced. Yeah. And I had to explain to her that, um, no, they weren't. But talking about it was a new thing. Because in the past, you just put up with whatever was going on with your body and you shut up and you got over the headaches or the pain or or, or whatever, or, or the lack of sanitary wear. And what was, you know, I, th- I think I saw something on social media, this idea that there is probably very few women who haven't given each other sanitary wear at some point or other because you end up without it mm-hmm. you know at some point because there wasn't any or you know you're in a position where you can't buy any and you just go around the office or go around your workplace if you've got oh yeah go on you know and somebody's always in a drawer or something like that you know um but but so my kid thinking periods were a new thing I thought was extremely interesting even though I talk to them a lot about these things to the point yeah. where they don't like literally they don't want to hear me anymore about it no 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 I think it's good but I I think that's a development that I mean it, it feels like everybody's talking about it but you know what I'd rather that than 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 not at all yeah and I also they were talking about they'd had a bit of sex ed yesterday and um I said it's very important that boys learn about women's bodies yeah because some of the things I read online about the lack of some basic biology is incredibly interesting, but also really, really frightening. If if, if um, men not knowing certain things happen, or they thought it happened in a very, very different way, uh, is is I find deeply disturbing. But also that women's bodies are just about women. That they have no so so you know young men growing up and having girlfriends who have periods. Oh God! <laughs> need to talk about that. Yeah. you know they need to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, definitely. definitely. It's not just buying condoms. It might be to buy some sanitary wear for your girlfriend when you're sixteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, or seventeen. I hope. You know, I know young kids from the age of at least 15 start to have sex. Mm-hmm. There's no point saying, you know, legal or not. There's no point saying that they don't. They do. But wouldn't it be good as well if they also understand that, you know, women have periods, girls have periods, and that whole thing about that mm-hmm. yeah. is really important. But, you know, so why, why, what I don't understand is what are the barriers against educating men? Well, as you said before, just I think it's fear. It's on their part. I think it's fear of what they might lose, what they might learn as well. Do you generally think it's that? Because I, because I'm quite naive sometimes. I think I don't. Do do people think that men won't listen? Um. So it's a pointless exercise, or can we just try 
and school because my thing is school them just school I was just going to say it doesn't matter what, what yeah just school them. yeah we just we just tell, you know, tell them maybe some people go in mm -hmm. just tell them you know maybe a, a guy in his 60s will talk about menopause with his wife and that's okay you know but at least if we're talking about it then you're talking about it and maybe somebody will change but i i genuinely don't understand why young men aren't schooled daily and not just young men older men because that's a lot of harassment actually comes from older men going back to the to education again i think with this you know why don't they listen and you know i think i do think that men do fear a lot they do fear losing their privileges and their positions and everything like that but i think if we can educate them on the benefits and the fact that it's going to happen is key well education is key for all of this i think we've agreed <laughs> Yes, I, I heartily agree too. Education is key. All right. Well, it's been a great conversation, Ashley. <laughs> we'll have to do this again. I, I didn't think we'd... Uh, there's me thinking I wouldn't have enough to say. Oh, please. We could go on forever. <laughs> All right, then. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Lovely speaking with you, Tony. You too. Bye. This episode is a little longer than usual, but we could quite easily have gone on for longer. We feel there's... a definite need for a follow-up perhaps specifically on harassment we don't know we don't choose the topics that are discussed you the listeners do if you want to hear more then please do let us know we've learned loads from this episode and we hope you have too both ashley and tony were phenomenal and a massive thanks to them for talking about a challenging and difficult subject we also thank them for their time and such a brilliant recording we know you'll want to connect with them afterwards and their details are in the show notes along with information about how to connect with us here at Women Talking About Learning. Menopause came up in this episode and we're going to have a special two-part episode coming out on the 17th and 18th of October. That's to signify World Menopause Day, so make a note of that in your diaries. Our next episode is the mental health one and is, again, highly recommended. As always, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.